We're this morning in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. We're only going to cover two verses this morning. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, there's so much joyful truth in these verses, and they relate to Christmas, the advent or the coming of Christ Jesus, and with him the light of heaven. Uh, there's a reason why we light candles, not just to do something that's traditional, but it, it's, a, it's a picture of light. And the Lord Jesus is light, and in him there is no darkness. And we always want to be reminded of this characteristic of our Lord Jesus. So please stand with me this morning as we read God's word to honor the Lord as we read his word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So our passage this morning begins with, but you. So there's a contrast. If you were here with us last week, it was about those that had heard about the proclamation of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone or as the foundation of our faith and had rejected him. They had despised him. They had stumbled over him and were offended by the things of Christ. And so the contrast now this morning is, but you, or the audience of this letter written by Peter, which is the church, those who have come to faith in Christ Jesus and believe these things, they are not offended by Christ Jesus, but they long for more of him and want to hear his voice. They believe his promises. They have put their faith in Christ Jesus. So what about these people? Who are these people? Who are we as Christians, as those who are in Christ? And we're given these four different descriptions, uh, beautiful and very meaningful descriptions as to who we are as Christians in Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. So let's go down these a little bit and, and look at what we have here. A chosen people first. This language goes back to the Old Testament. It's used continuously in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel. A people that were chosen of the Lord. It begins with Abraham, a man who is a nomadic person, who is an older person with no children. Nothing, he's not a king. He's not a great uh, uh, philosopher or anything great about him. But the Lord God chooses Abraham out of the nations. He sets his mercy upon him unconditionally or without condition and makes a great nation out of Abraham into the nation of Israel, a privileged nation with grace and favor that others did not experience. And what we have going on in the New Testament and the, the covenant of grace after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus is that there is an expansion beyond Israel to the Gentiles, or Gentiles are non-Jewish people. That's probably most of us in this congregation here. Those that were brought in to the kingdom of God when the promises of God and the grace and the mercy of God was expanded beyond Israel to the rest of the world. And the Lord God is bringing people to himself, those not descended from Abraham, but those that come into the kingdom of God by repentance and faith. Our faith in Christ Jesus is what brings us together as Christians. 
As we see in verse 10, those that were once not shown mercy that have now been shown mercy. The, the mercy and grace of Christ Jesus is not just a general benevolence to everyone. You know, it's kind of interesting at Christmas time, people invariably put cookies on the table and sort of whoever wants to get them, like, oh, I really appreciate that. But then there's those that will bring something to you specifically and make it for you and give it to you. And it's a, it's a very specific act of kindness toward you. And that is the mercy of Christ Jesus towards us. It is an individual act of mercy and grace that is brought to you. Not just some general benevolence to all mankind. The mercy and grace of Christ to you is personal. And so grace and mercy was once not shown to you, but now has been shown to you, and you have entered into it by faith, believing in Christ Jesus as your Savior. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, an interesting moniker, something that you probably don't think of yourself in, but this again goes to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Israel uh, had a priesthood. They were from one of the tribes of Israel, the, the Levitical tribe, and the Levites served as priests unto the Lord. And what this means is that they were granted close access to the Lord. They were the ones that entered into the holy places and, and worked doing the holy things in the temple that were acts of worship. And the people, the, the regular people, the outside people, did not have access to those things. To have access to the Lord, they had to come to and through a priest to uh, have nearness to the Lord. And so the Levitical uh, group had a nearness to the Lord that was different to other people. But something glorious and special happens at the death of Christ Jesus on the cross. We're told in the Gospels that when Christ dies upon the cross, that something happened in the temple. It says that the veil that separated the holiest place from the, holiest, from the holy place was torn in two from top to bottom. Now this is the, the curtain or the veil that was put together by Moses at the specific direction of God, and it was carried down through the ages, that there would be this curtain, this heavy curtain that no person could tear in half that would divide the place where God uh, displayed his presence with the Ark of the Covenant in the holiest place, and it was meant to separate people from God. We've talked about that in some sermons in the past, about the holiness of God. But at the death of Christ Jesus, God himself tears this veil in half, and makes what was separated no longer to be separated. It's a powerful, God-given picture of the Lord drawing closer to his people and removing degrees of separation from those who used to be separated to those that are now no longer separated, and there's going to be a progression of drawing closer and closer to the Lord. And so this symbol uh, of of separation is removed, uh, explaining to us or begin to helping us understand that we may now draw closer to the throne of God. We're told in the scriptures that we can come to the throne of grace in our time of need. We can come now directly to the Lord God through his grace. 
We do not need a priest to be an intercessor for us. There are a great many today that will still tell you that. That if you want to confess your sins, you must confess them to a priest who will then confess them to God. Or if you want to pray, you need to pray to a priest who will then help you pray to God. But we are told in the scriptures that when we come to salvation in Christ Jesus, we are indwelled by his Holy Spirit, and we no longer have need for a priest to be between us and God. Now we're told in the scriptures that Jesus is our great high priest, which means he is the one that is finally and ultimately mediating or interceding for us before God. But we pray directly to Christ Jesus. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. We are praying directly to Christ Jesus. There is no longer a gap or a separation between us and God. We are ourselves a royal priesthood through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, a change that comes in the new covenant of grace, the church era. If this idea of Jesus being a great high priest is something that's foreign to you or you've never heard or is difficult for you, I encourage you to spend time reading the book of Hebrews. The whole book of Hebrews is about this. It is explaining how Jesus can be both a king and a priest and what it means that Jesus is now our great intercessor and mediator before God, accomplishing the promises that he has made to us. So a chosen people, a royal priesthood coming near unto the throne of grace in our time of need. Thirdly, a holy nation. We spent a lot of time over the past weeks talking about holiness and that holiness means to be set apart, but not set apart uh, in a, in an, in a, in a uh, way that is it's set apart specifically to righteousness, set apart from sin and set apart to righteousness. And we as a nation of people in Christ are the same way. We are set apart from sin and set apart to righteousness. But this nation that is made up of people in Christ is not a nation from any geographic location or of any particular race of people. It is a holy nation, a nation of people set apart from the world unto godliness. And this group of people, this Christian people that name Christ Jesus as their Savior will be made up from every nation and from every race of people in the world. This is why the call of gospel missions goes out, as Rodney's going to talk about uh, with us at the end of the service, that we go to every nation. We have heard about Christ Jesus by someone coming to us to tell us about Christ Jesus. And this church is a multi-racial and multi-ethnic church because the gospel of Jesus Christ is for every people and every nation. And that our highest allegiance is to Christ Jesus, our Lord. That those who know Christ and are seeking and following after him are in fact like pilgrims passing through this world. That this world is not our home. That we are seeking after the kingdom of God. We are eagerly awaiting, as the book of Hebrews says, for a city whose architect and builder is God. That we are seeking to enter into a place that God has made, knowing that this world is a passing world. And that we are seeking something that is higher, something that is greater. And that our identity is not ultimately defined by the race that we are a part of or the nation that we are a part of, but, but that higher calling, which is to the kingdom of God. So a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, leading into the last one, 
a people of God's own possession. It's a really interesting passage or phrase. In an age of great loneliness and isolation, there is so much loneliness. And in a day where there's so much connectedness, you would think that we would have no more problem with isolation and loneliness because we can connect with each other in so many technological ways. But it seems that it has led to the very opposite because a great sense of belonging and hope does not come from technology. It comes from Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the more ungodly that our culture becomes, the more sense of isolation and darkness there will be. Our great sense of belonging comes from belonging to God, a people of God's own possession. Christians belong to God. I'm going to read a a passage for you from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You are not your own. Why are we not our own? Because we have been redeemed. That's the name of this church, Redeemer Bible Church. To have been redeemed means that you were in bondage, and someone paid a great price to bring you out of that bondage into freedom. That's what it means to be redeemed. Someone paid the price. And the price that was paid for our redemption was paid by Christ Jesus in his own body on the cross. He is the one that paid the price for our salvation. And in that, he brought us to himself. And we are his possession. It's another way of, in the scriptures, it's also called... uh, being brought into his family or being brought into his, being adopted into his kingdom. These are all different ways of speaking to our belonging in the the nation of God or the kingdom of God or the family of God, the price paid by him that we are now his children. Paul called himself a bondservant of Christ. The price was paid by God and he now serves the Lord. This is a hard thought for our day. Our day thrives on the idea of autonomy and independence. We love the idea that we can do anything we want, whenever we want, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to make a a far statement here. I think that if you deeply prize autonomy and independence, if these are your highest virtues and what what drives your life, you should actually question whether you are in fact a Christian. Because a Christian, we give up our autonomy and we come under the authority of Christ Jesus because we realize that us going in our own way, doing our own thing, whenever we want to do it, however we want to do it, is a way of death. And coming into Christ Jesus and coming under his authority is in fact a way of life. And that we're coming under his protection and his care just like the analogy is given to us in scripture of a child. God our Father, we are in the childlike position. And every child that is raised under the good, loving, nurturing authority of a parent understands the goodness of that authority and that watch care. And this is, what, this is how we relate to God. Those who are called by God hear his voice. They follow him. They walk in his ways. They live under his good authority. They thrive under his grace and under his design. We are brought to this spiritual life by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Redeemed from sin and death. Redeemed from death to life. From darkness to glorious light. From isolation to the living community of the church. 
And so what are we to do with these things? We who are called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, when we stand in this place of blessing and walk in these ways, we are to do what Peter goes out and says next, that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. We're supposed to go and tell people about these things, bear witness of who Christ is. And the picture given here is a people called out of darkness into marvelous light. We've all, another way of translating that is glorious, glorious light. Uh, That's a phrase I use often when I come outside on a day in the spring or the fall, and it's just glorious. It's a glorious day. What does that mean to, to walk outside on a glorious day? It's always a day full of light. But it's not a harsh light. There's something just beautiful and refreshing about it. And the wind's blowing just right. And the leaves or the flowers are just right. And it's just a glorious day. You want to go outside and be in the light. And this is something uh, of the glorious imagery given to us here. And I want to dive into that because it is so important to the Advent season The understanding that when Christ comes to us and bestows these blessings upon us, it is as if he is a light shining upon us and we were in darkness beforehand. So let's do a little uh, exploring on this idea of entering, coming out of darkness and entering into marvelous light. The first passage is Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 Uh, in two verses six and seven are very familiar to us at Christmas. And I would read, I'm gonna begin with verse one because this is gonna connect with something later in a moment that's very important. Isaiah chapter nine. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of, of the nations. Verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A beautiful prophetic word of the Messiah to come. Giving the people of Israel hope that a savior would come. And those things that were symbolic in the temple would one day be fulfilled. Those things that were hoped for by faith would one day become sight. And the description of the Messiah is very detailed here, but the overarching description is of a people in darkness and then the Messiah coming and shining upon them, it says, a great light. People that were in deep darkness being illumined. We understand what it means to come into a dark room and turn the lights on or some dark place that's scary uh, that we come and we shine light upon it. And this is the nature of the coming of the Messiah into the world. There are many descriptions in the Bible as to people that are separated from God and under the condemnation of their own sins. 
They are described in certain places as blind, as lost, as dead, as deceived, as rebellious, as enemies of God. But the overarching description is that they walk in darkness. And this imagery, which comes from the Bible and then goes out into basically every other form of literature, is that people that are in darkness are those that are lost. They cannot, they cannot find their way. And that darkness is associated with evil and associated with death. And light is the very opposite. The coming of Christ is a glorious light shining upon the darkness of death. When we go and look at the passage that Stuart read for us earlier, uh, proclaimed by Zechariah at the birth of John the Baptist, describing the ministry of Jesus, in verses 76 through 79, it says the same exact thing. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So this baby, this John the Baptist, will go and proclaim the ways of the Lord. And what will he proclaim? Verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So a people that did not know how to be forgiven of their sins. The world is filled with people like that now, that walk daily in darkness under the weight of guilt and sin and death, and they have no idea how to be forgiven of their sins, no idea how to unburden themselves of this great debt of sin. But John will tell them about Jesus in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the coming of Jesus as the Messiah, like a sunrise from heaven, shining upon people that sit in the darkness of death. And this is what it was like for people to hear the words of Christ who is this man and what is he saying? I want to hear more of what he's saying because what he's saying is striking my heart and bringing life to it. It's like someone shining light upon me. And I would ask you this morning if this is you, if as you sit here this morning, you know that you are sitting in darkness and your life would be described as one that is of death and you feel the darkness in your life, and you know there's no life in what is happening in your life, and you've tried to, to strive and seek life in all kinds of different ways, this world will point you in a hundred different directions as to how it is that you might find life and find fulfillment, whether it's by career or by health or by exercise or adventure or whatever it may be, but this lost world will never point you to the one source truly of life, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who will shine the light into your soul that you are seeking and lift you up out of darkness and out of death that you might have life. This is why Jesus came into the world. He came as a savior of the lost, shining light upon the souls that were in darkness. In Matthew chapter 4, this is affirmed of the ministry of Jesus himself. And this goes back to fulfilling, specifically fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah that we just read. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and following, it says this. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew uh, into Galilee. 
And this is right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, just after he comes out of the temptation in the wilderness. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is exactly the territory spoken of in Isaiah chapter 9. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And so Christ Jesus coming into their midst is like the rising of the sun, the glory of God being in their midst and proclaiming to them something that they had never heard or seen before. And this is the coming of Christ the Messiah. And this is what we are to be about as Christians. For those of us that are of this description that we've talked about before, this fourfold description, those of us that know Christ as our Savior and have been redeemed by him and forgiven by him and entered into the life that is in Christ, we have entered into this light and we are to go out into the darkness of the world and bear witness of these things. These things that came first in Christ and now have become a reality in our own lives, we are to go and proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Say something about Jesus this Christmas to the people that don't know him. The people that you know don't know Christ, speak of him. And if you are away from him, I urge you to press into this glorious light. The scriptures talk about those that are in darkness, loving darkness, loving the deeds that are evil. Part of salvation relates to repentance, deciding that I don't want these old ways anymore. I'm done with these things. I'm turning away from these things. I want to enter in to the life and the light of Christ Jesus. And so we go to verse 10 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Myself proclaiming the excellencies of Christ Jesus, I will tell you that I am one who once was not a part of the people of God, but now am. Not because of myself, but because of the grace of God, the mercy that was extended to me. There was once a time when I had not received mercy, but now I have received mercy. And my salvation is not about what I have done for God, but what God has done for me. The unconditional grace extended to me that I might walk in this great inheritance of faith through Christ Jesus and enter into his glorious light. I urge you this morning to step into the light of Christ. That as we look to the Christmas season that you would actively press against the materialism of this season and actively set your heart upon the things that Christ Jesus has done for you and that you would long to be near to Christ and that you would step into what it is that he has uh, poured out upon us. That today you would hear the voice of the Lord calling, that you have ears that you would hear. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this imagery, this beautiful imagery of the marvelous light of Christ Jesus. I pray, Father, that we would see you for these things, that we would realize that the coming of Christ Jesus is, in fact, the coming of the cornerstone, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that you were born uh, fully God and fully man, that you might uh, proclaim to us the salvation of God. 
I thank you for what you have done in so many hearts in this place that you are accomplishing your work of salvation in this church. I pray that each of us would grow in this and that we would put aside all shame and that we would gladly and joyfully speak to others of how we were called out of darkness into the glorious light of Christ. And Lord, I pray for those that today are still in darkness and those who struggle with great sadness in their heart. I pray that they would not seek the things of the world, but that they would seek Christ Jesus, that they would press in to abide with you and to walk with you, to hear more of your word and to know more of your kingdom, that there they would find the life that they seek, that they would enter into this people called by your name. And Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for sending Christ Jesus at just the right time. And Lord, we celebrate your coming this time of year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.